Welcome to the Newport Church Sermon of the Week podcast. Newport Church is a non-denominational, spirit-filled church, part of the Dove International Apostolic Network of Churches and Ministries. We are located between Mannheim and Lidditz in northern Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. We look forward to seeing you. And now, here is today's message. Um, I'm going to pray real quick and kick us off, and then we'll dive into our sermon for this morning. So God, thank you so much, first and foremost, for who you are. Thank you that you are a loving Father, that you are a good Lord, that you lead us well, that we do not have to fear you, but we are um, loved deeply by you, God. God, I pray, Lord, for our time here this morning. Thank you first for everything that you've already done this morning. Thank you for um, encountering with us. Thank you for being personal. I pray that you bless the rest of our time this morning, that you would speak to each one of our hearts, that we would be able to walk out of here different, that we'd be able to walk out of here changed, encouraged, and ready for our week and um, what you have in store for us. So God, I just pray that you would take from, add to anything that I have prepared for this morning. Um, and yeah, just encourage us this morning, Lord. Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty, so this morning, um, my sermon title is Faith That Moves Us, and we're going to be spending um, a lot of time looking at scripture, primarily from 1 Samuel uh, chapters 13 and 14, and we're going to be looking at the story of Jonathan and what we can learn about faith from him. But before we dive in, So there, since we're starting in the middle of a book, I kind of want to paint a little bit of a picture of where we're picking the story up so that we can have a little bit more context of what the situation is and where the story's at when we start here this morning. So um, throughout this morning, we're going to be pulling out different truths that we can apply to our lives that initially might seem pretty foundational or simple in some regards. But if you truly take these truths Um, believe them and apply them to your life, I believe them to be extremely transformational as well as foundational. So a backstory here of where we're picking up the story in 1 Samuel. Um, Earlier in 1 Samuel, we see that Samuel, um, at a very young age, was dedicated to the Lord, and the Lord blessed him, and he became a prophet over Israel. And a prophet in those times heard from the Lord and essentially helped lead the nation with the word of the Lord. So he was the prophet over Israel, and um, as we see that established, um, sorry, yep, we see that later on there's this um, nation called the Philistines that come, attacks Israel, and they actually take the Ark of the Covenant. If you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant is, um, the story of Moses, um, the Lord had Moses build this box to house uh, special things that the Lord has done to remind the people of Israel um, of God's faithfulness. It had things in it, and it was gold-plated, and it had things like um, the tablets that the Lord gave to Moses with the Ten Commandments on it. It had a jar of manna that the Lord provided for them in the wilderness. It had Aaron's staff that budded and grew Um, from a staff to pick Aaron. Um, So all these things were in the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant actually also represented um, as housing the Spirit of the Lord. So it was very important. The presence of the Lord was in the Ark of the Covenant. And the Philistines came, attacked the Israelites, 
took this ark, took it back to their nation, and they actually placed it in a temple of one of their gods. And long story short, um, because of the presence of the Lord, essentially their God's temple started falling apart, like statues was falling down, they fixed it and fell down again. They're like, all right, this is too much for us, so we're going to return this to the Israelites, let them deal with it. So they randomly just, you know, power the Lord, um, kind of caused them to return the ark. Um, so these, I'm just hitting some big points throughout uh, 1 Samuel up to the point we're starting. And then uh, after this, Israel, as Samuel gets order, older, he's trying to pass on leadership to his sons that were not actually following the Lord too well. So things weren't working out. And the Israelites came and they're like, hey, we see all these nations around us. They have kings and we want a king. Like, it's great having the Lord speak through you and whatever, but we want a king moving forward. And it wasn't necessarily the Lord's plan, but the Lord's like, their hearts are hardened. They, this is what they want. And instead of me being their king, they want an actual human king. So let's give it to them. And in comes King Saul. Um, through a series of testing, Samuel chooses Saul, and Saul is appointed as king. Um, and then this is kind of where our story is starting to pick up. Saul makes some very bad mistakes, makes some decisions against what the Lord has instructed him to do, which causes the Philistine army to then turn on Israel in essentially a full-out war. And uh, last thing before we dive into today's scripture is 1 Samuel 13, 5 through 7, paints a picture of the last thing that happens before we're going to dive deep here. So it says, the Philistines mustered a f- to fight, the Isra- or fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped in Michmash, to the east of beth When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still in Gil- Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. So here we see this ginormous army, not even fully numbered here because there was that many. You know, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and then a number as great as the sand on the seashore of foot soldiers that are with the Philistine army. And then... Most of Saul's army flees, and fear hides. And this is where we pick our story up. So um, as we look at our passages today with this in context, we want to look at Jonathan, and he paints this picture that we can learn a lot from of walking in faith and allowing faith to be an action and not just a theory. Um, So we're going to start... In 1 Samuel 13, around 16, um, but as we go through, I want to pull out certain principles that we can, walking out of here this morning, apply to our life, different thought processes that we can apply to our life and how we perceive things that will shift the way that we do life and shift the way that we view um, different situations that we might be in. So the first thing that we can take from this passage uh, that we're going to be reading is that we do not fight in the same way that the world fights. We fight an entirely different way, um, but we don't. We fight differently than the world fights. 
So in 1 Samuel 13, 16 through 22, it says, And Saul and Jonathan, his son, and the people who were present with them stayed in uh, Geba of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Michmash, and raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in, their, in three companies. One company turned towards Orpha, to the land of Shul. Another company turned towards Bethoran, and another company turned towards the border that looks down on the valley of Zibarim, towards the wilderness. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords and spears. So in that time, the Philistines were primarily the blacksmiths. They were the ones with the craft and the skills. And then they also removed any blacksmiths from Israel so that there was no weapons being made. But every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistine to sharpen their plowshares, his mattock, his axe, and his shackle, or sickle. And the charge was two-thirds a shackle for the plowshares and mattocks, and the third shackle for the axes and setting goads. So on the day of the battle, there were neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any people with Saul and Jonathan, but Saul and Jonathan and his son had them. So out of the entire army uh, that Saul had, only him and his son were the only ones with real weapons. The rest were all farming equipment. So um, you might look at this, and if you're thinking through worldly terms, there is absolutely no way that Saul and Jonathan can come into this battle and walk away victorious. There is absolutely no way that they can come in and have a good enough strategy that will give them the upper hand. That's because the world is, does not fight the way that we're called to fight. They fight dirty, they fight by their own rules, and they fight for their own causes. You see, the Philistine army comes in and they already have the upper hand by the numbers they have, but then they take away any chance of weapons. They, um, we see later, take ground um, very quickly, and they send out these three different companies to take even more ground from the Israelites. Cool. So um, here it states that the Philistines are camping in Michmash. If we go earlier in chapter 13, we actually see that Saul and his army are stationed there. And it's actually one of the key locations in that region that they're fighting in for a military outpost. It's nice and high. You can see the area around you. And uh, we see that the Israelites come in, or sorry, the Philistines come in, take that from them, and they're going out, taking more land from the Israelites. So you've got to put yourself in perspective here for the Israelites. Imagine this being you. How often do we feel like life is this way for us? I know that there's been times in my life where looking at the tangible, if we were fighting on the same terms as the world, if we were playing by the same rules, I would have been wildly outnumbered, and I would have no chance of victory, no chance of success, in what seemed to be around me. Um, there's times where in my life where I've felt like Saul and his army that says that they were trembling, they were hiding, they were fleeing because of the situation at hand. If that's you, one, you're not alone, but two, we are in luck because this fact that we do not fight like the world is not a um, hindrance to us. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. The reason we don't fight like the world is because we are actually in a fight that is a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, 12. 
I'm going to read from the Amplified, says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, containing only with physical opponents, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness, and the heavenly spiritual place, or supernatural places. <clears throat> so as a Christian, not fighting like the world, we actually are now given a whole area of spiritual weapons, essentially, that the, we can read about throughout the whole Bible. But in 1 Corinthians 10, 3 through 4, it says, For though we live in the world, we do not rage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons for the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So, um, where we are now, the, the world around us has an entire arsenal of weapons that we are not allowed to use as believers, but looking in contrast to what we actually have to use, we would not want to use. They have things like violence, hatred, falsehood, gossip, slander, rumors, lying, you name it. All these different things that are all forceful, that are at the root of it is actually out of a root of like power, powerlessness, where people are like, all right, I need to try and control the situation, so they you know, use violence, they use hatred, they try to manipulate the situation. And these are all the weapons that the world tries to use. And um, it really paints kind of an unfair picture in the tangible, and the reality is the battle that we're fighting is extremely unfair, not necessarily in the way that you would think. Um, it's unfair because we have God on our side, which means that we have the advantage. So it's actually unfair to the world. Um, yeah, it's unfair to the world, not to us. Because we yield weapons um, that are spiritual, weapons like love, prayer, um, encouragement even. Um, we have faith. We have the supernatural gifts. We have healing. We have um, deliverance. We are not contained to the tangible world only. Um, we have salvation, deliverance from our past, set free from things that bond us, things that the world does not have access to until they step into relationship with the Lord, right? And then things shift. But we now have access to all this. So the first principle that we looked at here is we are not fighting like the world fights. We are fighting a spiritual war, and we are not outnumbered. We are not necessarily outweaponed when we look at the fullness on the tangible, we are. We might be. Not always, but we might be. But on the real, we are drastically more equipped. So second uh, principle that we can pull from this passage um, as we move forward here is that we move forward in faith. Uh, this is kind of where our, the our, our topic of the day starts to come into play, um, is faith requires us to move. True faith. Um, as I said earlier, that faith is, no, I don't think I said this actually, but faith is actually a decision that we make. Um, faith, I feel like a lot of times has this thing around it where like, oh, if I read enough, if I read enough books, read enough scripture, which all plays into it, like it encourages us and builds faith in us, but if I do enough of this, if I see enough of this, if I hear enough testimonies, then something will just click inside of me and I'll then be someone that walks in faith and my life will change and like 
I'll be able to go out and pray for healings, but I have to reach that point of seeing and hearing and reading so much before that happens. When in reality, faith is actually a decision that we have to take up, a decision that we have to make for ourselves saying, based on the truths that I know, and that might be limited in the area that you, are. you might know one or two truths about the situation you're in, but if they're actual truths, like truths, not just something someone tells you, but like actual truths rooted in the word and what the Lord has said, if we take that, we now have a decision. Are we going to trust what that says, or are we going to look at the tangible and the things around us, and like, what's my decision? Am I going to walk out in this, or am I going to do whatever response this requires? So faith is a decision that we must make as believers if we're going to put it into action. So there's several things that we can learn about moving forward in faith in this next section. So I'm going to read it kind of in portion. Um, but the overall we're going to look at is from chapter 13, 23, all the way through 14, 14. Um, but I'm going to start with just three different verses here at the beginning of 14. It says, one day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, come, let us go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibbeth under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Aja, I don't know how to pronounce that name, but that's it. <laughs> Um, who was wearing an ephod. He was a son of Ichabod, brother Atub, son of Phineas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shalom. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. So here we have two contrary, or contract, con, yeah, opposite <laughs> uh, approaches to um, the situation at hand. Um, we see, one, Saul takes the stationary approach to what's at hand. I can imagine Saul's there, he sees this ginormous army, knows their uh, eliteness in battle, knows their weapons that they have, and then he looks at his army, which is 600 people, all right? It says right here that Saul has 600 people with him. Um, so if we want to compare that real quick, based on what uh, chapter 13 was saying about the Philistine army, if we remove all of the foot army and just the chariots and horsemen, they are outnumbered 60 to 1. And then you add in the foot soldiers that the Philistines have that outnumber the sand of the seashore. Like, imagine where Saul's mental state is right here. He's like, I'm the leader of this army. I'm the king of Israel. And, like, it's my decision of what we do in this situation. So we see him probably pretty scared, sitting in the outskirts. I can, it doesn't say it directly, but um, I'm pretty sure this is a state of hiding. This is a state of like self-preservation. Like, okay, like we're just going to kind of hold back until something, you know, I don't know what, but something happens. Um, so we see him sitting there under the tree and... Um, yeah, it's kind of in this fearful state of staying. See, he's stationary, he's staying, and he's just sitting there. Now, I'm sure he was trying to think up stuff, but um, his actions speak louder. He was sitting still. But on the flip side, we see Jonathan, 
despite the terrible odds, takes action. He's like, I'm not going to sit around and wait for defeat to happen to us. Like, with the picture at hand, we might get defeated, we might not, but most likely we'll get defeated whether we're sitting here or going anyway. So he takes this step of faith. He's like, you know what, let's go. So um, one incredible truth that we can take away from this uh, for Jonathan is that as believers, as the church, we are called to be on the offense. We are not called to be defensive. We are not called to function in defense. Our job is not to come here on a Sunday, figure out ways that we can protect ourselves from the outside world to make it another week. Um, The Great Commission is not to, let's see here, not to stay, protect, study the Bible, and make sure we do not get overcome or brainwashed by the evil around us. No, the Great Commission is to therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then this last little bit here is a key that we're going to be diving into. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we'll tie back into that. But faith requires action. If we call ourselves believers, if we trust that what the Bible says is true and who God says he is is true, it's going to like put in us an action to our faith. Faith requires action. If we truly believe the Bible, that will reflect it in how we speak and how we act. James 2.18 says, But someone will say, You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by works. So even though works are not what saves us, as we step into salvation, as we step into relationship with the Lord, there's something that happens inside of us where because of our faith, because of what we believe, it demands action. It demands movement on our part because our faith, our relationship with the Lord is living and something that is living is moving. If we're stationary, if we're sitting under a pomegranate tree, like there's something that we need to check in ourselves. Are we having the faith that we're called to have? Cool. So before we move on to the third principle, I want to read a little bit more of the story to see what happens as Jonathan steps out in faith, as he is, puts action maybe to things that he might be scared of, but he had enough faith to take this step. Let's see what happens in verses 14, or 4 through 14. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other... One cliff stood to the north towards Michmash, the other to the south towards Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by mercy or many or by few. And I'm just going to take a little break right here. This reminds me of another story. Um, I have later in my notes, but um, think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Um, this statement, when I read it, reminds me of that, that perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. They take a step of faith not to bow down to a statue, and for those that don't know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is in Daniel. 
Um, there's a king created a statue forcing them to worship it, but they believed in the Lord and refused to worship any other god. So they take this stance. The Lord comes through and rescues them from the fiery furnace. But as we continue here, uh, we see a parallel in this story of God's faithfulness with an act of faith. As his people step out in faith, the Lord is faithful. So picking up in verse 7, do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said, go ahead, I am with you heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on then, we will cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So that is a next level of faith right there. Even the statement that Jonathan is making to his armor bearer as they're, you know, walking into this golly with cliffs on both sides saying, you know what, like I have the faith level that if the Lord, this happens, the Lord is like, all right, no go. But if this happens, we're going to walk on it because that is where my faith level is, that this is the Lord's word, that we have the victory. Um, and I believe there's so many, I mean, we have the Holy Spirit with us that encourages in this, like there's things that the Holy Spirit would be like, hey, like take this step of faith and I'll do this. And like, as we do that, we'll, it takes a step um, for those that are prophets or those that have a gift of prophecy. Like a lot of times you'll feel an inkling, but you won't have the full thing to encourage someone until you take that step. And as you start to speak into them or as you start to pray for them, the Lord starts to unload things. It's that way in a lot of things, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. It takes a step and then the Lord's like, all right, based on your action of faith, I will give you more. I will give you what you have faith for. So we see that in this story here. Um, and then look what happens in verses 11 through 14. This is where it starts to get exciting. So both of them show themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes where they are hiding him. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into our, the hands of Israel. So Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet, which is a position of vulnerability. They could have taken them out, you know. Sometimes the way the Lord calls us into things is different than we would do it. It might seem vulnerable at some points, but climbing up using his hands and feet up this cliff face and his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearers followed and killed behind him. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. So we see here of this incredible battle that takes place between Jonathan, his armor bearer, and 20 of the Philistines based solely on their first step of faith. If they would have never taken that first step of faith, they would still be hiding with his dad and you know, the pomegranate tree, cowardly trying to figure out how to preserve themselves yet another day. So, um, yeah, just a recap there. Um, that point is we need to step out in faith. Faith needs to move us if we're going to call it faith. 
the third point that I want to pull and the third principle that we can apply to our lives um, is kind of coming out of this passage we just read is the victory comes from the Lord. If we can grip this principle, apply it to not just each situation, but into our belief system about the Lord and who he is and who he is to us, it will change the way that we walk the day-to-day, the small and the big battles. So we do not fight, just to recap, we do not fight as the world does. We move forward in faith, and the victory comes from the Lord. Second Chronicles 20.15 says, This is what the Lord says, Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the vast number, for the battle is not yours, but God's. If we grab hold of this truth and apply it to our lives, the way we do life, it will shift how we view challenges that we face. It will shift the way that we perceive what life is around us. Uh, If we don't fully understand and grip this, uh, we're going to feel outgunned. We're going to go into days feeling stressed. We're going to go into days feeling overwhelmed because all this stuff is around us and it's up to us to fix it. You know, without this truth uh, rooted in our belief system, we're going to be the ones that have to make moves, that has to fix the messes that life throws at us, that has to overcome the challenges that we're faced with. We're the ones that's going to have to, you know, work out our finances to overcome this, you know, unexpected uh, expenses that are coming our way. We're going to have to be the ones to work out family issues that are not at all caused by things that you have done or whatever it might be, it's up to us if we don't have this truth. If we don't believe this truth, the overwhelming truth or reality that's perceived here is it's up to me, it's me against the world, and I have no chance, right? But if we can shift that mindset to this reality that the victory is the Lord's, then it will drastically change how we step out in faith. Cool. So with this in mind, I'm going to read the next uh, portion here. And remember, we're picking up right after that battle that Jonathan, his armor bearer, had with the 20 that they defeated. So this is the very next verse. It says, And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrisons and even the raiders trembled. So the garrisons, different translations here, but that was the raiding parties that went out. Um, those garrisons and raiding Trump and raiders. So not just the people that saw the battle um, that Jonathan just had were trembling, but it says the enti- essentially the entire Philistine outpost, the entire Philistine army um, started to panic. And it said the earth quaked and it, there was a, became a very great panic. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeth of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was disappearing here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who has gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. So Saul said to Aja, Bring the ark of God here, for the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talking to the priest, the turmoil in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him 
rallied and went into battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow, and there was very great confusion. Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond beth So Jonathan and his armor bearers' first act of faith, first attacked in this action of faith, and God gave them the victory. But then out of that encounter, out of that first step of faith, there's kind of this rippling effect where now the entire enemy camp starts to get confused, starts to panic, starts to freak out, like, what is happening here? And it's kind of this divinely inspired panic that goes throughout. Um, People that shouldn't be afraid, you know, that has an army of maybe thousands or hundreds of thousands, um, is panicking over an army of 600, right? Um, And ultimately, of two, that's initiated this first attack. And then earthquakes happen. That's only, you know, God established. Men cannot make earthquakes happen. So uh, Saul and his men that were initially afraid starts to be encouraged by what's taking place, by God's intervening with the battle. So this kind of faith that Jonathan has is a compounding kind of faith. You know, he had the faith to, all right, let's go out. But if this happens... Let's, you know, just stay back. If this happens, then we go. So that's the next step, you know. First step of faith was, all right, maybe we'll go out. Next step was, if this happens, all right, let's have that step of faith. And then it went up, had the battle, and it just keeps growing. So each time that we trust the Lord and he comes through, our faith grows. But it's not just our faith that grows. One of the most powerful things from this passage, at least for me, that the Lord was bringing out is that as they stepped out in faith, it was not just their own faith that grew, but it was the entire Israelite army. And beyond that, it was those that have turned away from the Israelites and, you know, traded to the other side. They came back because they were encouraged by the faith of what the Lord was doing. And then those hiding and all that kind of rallied together. So faith in action is actually contagious. Um, And with this, the worship team, you can start making your way up. Uh, But because of Jonathan's faith, Saul and his men joined. So uh, when you act boldly in faith, your faith will encourage others to walk out in faith. As you walk out in faith publicly um, around those around you, whether believers or not, there is something that stands out. There's something where people are like, you know, they're not cowered in a way. They're not in fear. They, are, they have this level of faith that is kind of appetizing. Like, I kind of want to have that level of boldness, that level of courage. And as the Lord comes through, um, we see a shift happen in other people's life. Um, and then going back to Daniel 3, when I mentioned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they had the faith to say, no, we're not going to bow down to your gods. We're going to bow down only to the true Lord and Savior. Um, what happens was 
The Lord saved them from the fiery furnace. And then that whole region, King Nebuchadnezzar was like, wow, this God is real. And it kind of increased his faith, no matter however that shaked out. But like in that moment, like, wow, the realization of who God is was expanded greatly. And then we also see in 1 Thessalonians 3, 7, it says, For this reason, brother and sisters, during all our distress and suffering, we have been confronted and greatly or comforted and greatly encouraged about you because of your faith, your unwavering trust in God, placing yourselves completely in his loving hands. So here we see that Paul and those with him were greatly encouraged by the faith of the church in Thessalonica. Like someone that we look up to in the Bible, Paul, was encouraged by the church in Thessalonica. Like, for me, that's encouraging because it's not like a tier thing. It's not like, oh, the people that are, you know, great, like up here in leadership can only affect the people down the line with their faith. But it works all directions. So you might be like, oh, I'm not someone of influence. So like walking out in faith won't necessarily encourage others, but it will. Um, so Jonathan acted boldly in faith and his faith inspired others to join the battle. But the bottom line is found in verse 23. The Lord rescued Israel that day. God rescued Israel through Jonathan's step of faith, even despite of what the army might have been thinking and doing. And Saul's, you know, passive approach of sitting under a pomegranate tree, the Lord still moves. Uh, maybe there's things in your life where you're passive in. Maybe there's things where you're just sitting on the sidelines, on the side of Gilead or Gilgal, trying to you know, keep your distance from the trouble at hand. Try to keep your distance from the overbearing battles and struggles and things that seem to be overtaking you in life. I want to encourage you that even in spite of that, if we take up this level of faith that Jonathan had and said, you know what, we're either sitting here or we're going, and take that first step, the Lord will move. The Lord will take action and fight your battles for you. So to recap the morning here and to challenge you in these many different ways, and I'll have the prayer ministers come up as well if you would like. And um, as I am stating some of these things and it resonates with your heart and God's highlighting certain things, I encourage you to not take the passive approach on that, um, but to take action and to take faith in the things that the Lord's encouraged you in this morning, whether that's coming up to one of the prayer ministers and asking them to pray into it with you. Uh, maybe it's grabbing a friend next to you and saying, hey, this is what the Lord is showing me this morning, and um, I just want to share it with you, or can you pray for me? Um, but the first thing is we are not called to fight the way the world does. Is there any areas in your life where you're trying to use the tactics that the world uses? Is there areas where you're using violence or anger, hatred, falsehood? Maybe there's things where you're trying to use lies to get through it. Is there areas where the Lord's calling you to shift your battle tactic? Is there areas of your life where he's saying, all right, let's, let's get over this way of thinking where the world... Um, might present a certain way of battling the things in life. If there is, I encourage you, you know, talk, talk to someone around you. Encourage, or yeah, 
let them pray for you and ask the Lord, but just you and the Lord, like, Lord, how do I shift this thinking? How do I move forward from this place? Second thing is we are not called, or we are called, sorry, to move in faith. Faith moves us. So is there areas that you are sitting dormant in? Is there areas that the Lord is like, hey, let's get up, let's take a step. Like, I'm here with you, but it takes you taking that first step and we'll go great places. So what area is he calling you to take action? Um, yeah, I, I want you to take some time. Ask the Lord to increase your faith to just take that first little step. Uh, some of us have been... Um, stationary for a while, so it's going to be scary maybe in some areas to take that step, but I encourage you to pray into it. Say, God, increase my faith. And then finally, the victory is the Lord's. There is nothing we face in life that is too great for us because the Lord is the one that's fighting our battles. So I challenge you as the worship team plays here, take time just you and the Lord Soak in that reality, spend some time in that reality, and then verbally ask the Lord to take charge of any area that he highlights where you're holding on to it. Any battles that you have been trying to get victory in without bringing the Lord in, ask him to highlight those and then verbally just you and the Lord say, Lord, I give you that battle with whatever. I give you this challenge with whatever. And it doesn't have to be big things. It doesn't have to be that you know, 60 to 1 outnumbered battles. It can be tiny things, you know, things that might not seem huge, but every victory is the Lord's. He doesn't call us to fight the little ones ourselves and he'll cover the big ones. He covers all of our battles, all of our challenges. So spend some time just you and the Lord this morning in that, and then if you feel like you want to come up and get prayer for it uh, or grab someone around you for prayer, please do so. And just my last encouragement here before we go into a time of worship and ministry is that our faith is contagious. So live in a manner of spreading faith, you know, live faith boldly, live faith openly, you know, in a way that other people can grip hold of it and be encouraged out of that spirit of encouragement that Cherie was talking about. Our faith encourages other people, um, So I'm going to pray. We'll transition into a time of ministry here. Um, And then, yeah, I'll pass it over to Sheree if she has anything, maybe. But we're good. So God, thank you so much that you are Lord over all. That you do not throw us into this world to battle ourselves. That you do not throw us here to work things out. But you are the one that holds the victory. Every victory of every battle that we face, Lord, that you are the Lord over it, that you bring the victory, God. God, I pray, Lord, this morning that you would raise in us this level of faith to take action, that our faith would have feet, that our faith will have hands to do um, the things that you're calling us to do. I pray, Lord, that any area that we, or myself even, God, that we're taking the passive approach where we're sitting and trying to let it blow over, um, that there would be just this encouragement and this raise of faith to take action in the directions that you've called us, God. Thank you that you are greater than anything that we might face. God, you are so good. We love you, God. 
God, I pray for an encouragement and a grace and a peace over each person here this morning, that as we go out from this place, that we would walk in just your grace, that we would walk in your peace, that any weight, stress, or burden that we have carried in here this morning, that it would just lift right now in the name of Jesus, that we can walk out of here in a new lightness in the reality of who you are. God, we love you. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening today. We would like to invite you back to our services starting at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more great content from Newport Church, check out newportchurch.net or visit our YouTube channel. To get the right one, search for Newport Church in Elm, PA.